whether or not we all realize it, those of us who serve the Lord are participating in the most epic adventure of all time, space, and history. I think it's about time that we start celebrating the miraculous and wonderful ways that God touches our lives in everyday circumstances. I'm Karen Pennington, and this is Daily Adventures in Grace. friends, Karen Pennington here, and I have a few questions for you. Fill in this blank for me. You can say it out loud. I won't mind. Uh, blank number one. I really, really love, be honest, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Might be my husband. I mean, don't love my husband. Love your husband. It might be you love your child. It might be you love your grandchild. Oh, I love my baby granddaughter. She's the best of all. I also love my daughter. And my husband. I love them all. Might be, I love a good clearance sale. For those of you who are hungry, which I seem to always be, you might say, I love pie. I love pizza. Uh, I love losing weight, which I love all those. They don't go together so well. Here's one. What I love most is... Now, what do I bet so many Christians out there said God? What I love most is God. Some of you are listening to this and go, oh, yeah, I meant God. I, you thought something else. You said out loud, my life, my wife, or this. But I meant God. I really love him most. And It's okay. You're all being honest. It might not have been the first thing out of my mouth. If someone asked me, and off the top of my head, I just really, really wanted something to eat or something. What I love most is and some of you might have said, well, Jesus isn't a what, so however you answered it, it's okay. Uh, but I want to talk about that today. Uh, see, I've been real convicted over the past few years, past few weeks, about Jesus, this experience with God and this experience with Jesus. It's so exceptional. And God touches our lives in exceptional ways. And I think we've all heard wonderful stories. Honestly, my belief is if you know the Lord and you're following the Lord, you may think that you're nothing special, but if we talk to you long enough, you will have a story that inspires and is out of this world. And I don't want to discount that, but I'm also very convicted that God isn't just the Lord of the mountains and the valleys. God touches us at our highest points, and we feel like, praise the Lord, on our mountaintops, and God comes and meets our needs when we're in the valley. But there's all this space in between, which we call everyday living. And I don't think, while we gather inspirations from the stories of the highs and the lows, God meets us every day. Or at least God wants to meet us every day, and he's in these little, little things, and I was looking at the uh, parables of Jesus and just the teachings of Jesus. Anytime he used a simile, a metaphor, a parable, anything that kind of compared like the kingdom of heaven is like this. And this cool thing about Matthew is that Jesus, New International Version, and also I checked back with the Greek, it's about, it's about the same. Jesus mentioned kingdoms 53 times in Matthew. That's about a third over a third of the times it's mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus mentioned kings 71 times. 
in the book of Matthew, which is just a little bit under a third of the times that it's mentioned in the whole New Testament. So we think kings, we think kingdoms, and we think spectacular. I do. Obviously they did, because when he when Jesus came riding in on a donkey on what we now celebrate as Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, they were laying down palm leaves. They had him in this donkey, which was the sign of royalty, and they thought he was going to spectacularly take over Rome, be the emperor, have the old pomp and circumstance and the piety and the gold and the jewels and all that, and he didn't quite do it the way they said. In fact, I would say he didn't come the way they thought he'd come. I mean, for heaven's sakes, when he was born, he was placed in a feeding trough for donkeys. You don't get more humble than that. I would even submit that one of the most exceptional things about Christ's life was how ordinary it was. He's speaking about the kingdom. And yet, short of him talking about taking up a cross, that's a little different. That's not just for a common person. Virtually every other time in Matthew that he says anything about what it means to follow the Lord, it's about everyday stuff. He talks about fishing and growing food and being pastoral, having cattle and sheep and livestock. Guess what people did every day in those days? He talks about families, how they interact on an everyday basis. He talks about children's needs and parents' responses. He talks about paying taxes. He talks about the different ways we make money and different ways that we are indebted to each other and the different ways we give money. He talks about mustard seeds and mountains and cattle and fish and eating and drinking and making and owing and physical health and what we do to meet our daily needs. Our exceptional God lived the day-to-day ordinary life just like we were. And at every point of it, he could see these things and he touched them with the eternal. Better yet, he saw how these things were touched by the eternal. He saw how every part of our life, every day of our life, we can wake up and be reminded about our extraordinary God that meets us where we're at. We don't have to wait for the big breakthrough to celebrate who God is. We can wait for it. We can hope for it. We don't have to wait till we're totally broken by our, let's just say it, stupidity when we go against God in order to look up and see who he is. God can use that. God can use either of those. Every day, every day is an adventure. I, when I was growing up, had this mistaken notion that I had to wait until one time, maybe two times a year, once when we went to youth camp and once we went to a youth retreat. And that's when I got to cry, and that's when I got to come to meet God, and that's when I got to have these spiritual experiences, because that just didn't happen. I mean, sometimes I'd actually wait, and that just didn't happen, and nobody ever told me that. But it was not very often that someone went up to the altar crying, or not very often that I saw people meeting the Lord, and 
unfortunately, even in churches where we're trying to be faithful, we it's like we wait for something spectacular, some show or some horrible thing in order to really just find God and see God. And he's talking to us every day. He's talking into us in our day-to-day jobs. He's talking to us in our frustration with our neighbors. He's talking to us when we just want to flush our children down the toilet or when someone cuts us off. All of that. There's nothing too big or too small that God can't reach right in it and show us who he is. So there's one passage. Short of him talking about the kingdom is like. And short of him talking about carrying our cross, which I'll agree is out of the ordinary. There's one other passage that struck me. One other way that struck me as being maybe not sounding so ordinary. And that's the way that Jesus talked about treasure. Treasure in Matthew. That word, uh, thesaurus, is mentioned about 18 times. That's a pretty good amount um, for just 21 chapters, or 28 chapters, excuse me. About 18 times he mentions treasure. And about five times he mentions saving or storing up things. In the Greek, those two words are connected. They have the same... They have the same uh, root. It's thesauriso, which means I store, and thesaurus, which is treasure. When we think of treasure, maybe not you, but me, I think of pirates and kings and super, super rich people. I think of diamonds, and I think of gold, and I think of maybe platinum, and I think of very, very precious metals or gems, or maybe lots and lots of money. I think of Fort Knox. Those of you in the U.S., you know that that place where they stored all the gold for the U.S. for a long time? Not all there anymore. Uh, That's what I think of. But that's not what this word means. It's used treasure over and over and over and over and over and over. But a treasure is a container that stores something. It could be, as in when someone found a pearl out in the field, the pearl of great price, it would have been in like a little box. It can be a treasure chest. It can, as in this case, be a storehouse. Um, As it says in Matthew 6, and I would like to read this, bear with me. It says, Do not store up, uh, that's thesauriso, for yourself treasures, thesaurus, on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's verses 19 through 21. When you treasure something, you're storing it up inside you or inside something else. It means what you're holding on to. To treasure something means to hold on to it as if it's important or useful to you. So what are we holding on to? You know, it is possible to treasure money. Is it okay? Depends on how much you're treasuring it, you know? Is it so important to you that it's taking the place of 
say, obedience to God or the service of others? Is it more important to you to have a million dollars in the bank than it is to help someone in need? Which treasure wins? We can treasure things that nobody thinks are good. How many people have you heard who said, I will never forgive that person. I don't care what they do. I... So you're holding on to forgiveness, unforgiveness. And in that case, it's taking that place in your heart where you could have freedom and joy and healing. But to you, maybe not you, maybe someone you know, holding on to that is taking the place of greater things. So yeah, you don't have to be a pirate or a king or a rich person to have a treasure. You just have to be a thing, a person. What do you treasure? What are you holding on to? What is in your storehouse? Now, I personally have no problem with people saving things in the bank. As long as that's not going against your greatest treasure. I have no problem with having plans. I have to say, when I was younger, I had great plans. And I told God everything I was going to do for him. And I treasured that. And out of grace, God took most of it away from me because... I want to take it away for myself because I figured out these are my plans or how I'm going to serve you, God. That treasure, which in many forms was pride, was taking away for a great, from a greater purpose and a greater joy that God had for my life. What are you treasuring? You can treasure lost dreams and just drown in a sea of regret rather than surrendering them on an altar of gratefulness and redemption. We can treasure things that we would really like on earth. And it's okay to have stuff on earth. As long as that's not filling the storehouse. As long as that's not taking the storehouse that's greater. Think about it. We know people. We all know people. I hope you know people who have some of the most joyous spirits you know. And they either give a lot or they're poor and they give a lot. I know people that have almost nothing, yet they always, always seem to have money to give to someone else. And they always do it joyfully. Those are treasures in heaven. I know people who live in small houses but buy cars for other people who need them. Treasures in heaven. It's not about the spectacular all the time. It's not about ruling the world. It's not about being famous. I'd like to be just more famous enough that I can do this for a living and not have a side job. <laughs> if that's not God's will, then I can take joy in doing what I'm doing. It's okay to want that. You just can't. That can't be the thing you hold on to more than everything, anything else, and that's a warning to me as well. It's not about having to be exceptional at everything. It's about being exceptionally ordinary, for lack of a better term. It's about allowing God to touch you right where you're at. And I, it's going to either keep you in a place of bliss and joy, or it might carry you somewhere else physically. But either way, if we're in Christ, that's enough. 
Mother Teresa would kiss lepers on the mouth, lived in abject poverty, and yet was such an example of joy and giving. St. Francis literally stripped down to nothing. I'm not asking you to do that in front of the bishop, but he stripped down to nothing because his father said to him, if you keep giving to people, if you keep living like this, instead of being in the business and running the town, then I'm going to disown you. And so he said, I, fine, here are, here are the clothes off my back. Because as much as I want to be accepted by my dad, my acceptance of my Heavenly Father is more important. Where God has you right now is important. You may feel mundane. You may feel weak. But if you're doing what you need to do, if you're a substitute teacher, if you're a custodian, if you're a politician, if you're a doctor, if you're a housewife, if you're a house husband, stay-at-home dad, if you're where God needs you to be, if you're listening to God every day, then where you are and what you are and who you are is exceptional. And what you do, you may have one person that you're speaking life into. You may have a Bible study that two people are coming to. You may have a mother or a grandmother or a neighbor that you're going to every day. And you may feel like that's not worthwhile, but that's treasure. God values it. God values your thoughts. God values your actions. God values your everyday walk. And God wants to infuse more of his life into it. So why don't we value it too? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You touch us in the high. You touch us in the low. And you can touch us in everywhere in between, God. My prayer today is that you teach us all to see you in all things to see where you're not and to see where you want to be. See the reflections of what you would have us know. Amen. Amen.